Well, this morning, I'm going to jump right in because I've got a whole lot to get in, and it's going to kind of be a little bit different this morning, and it's going to be very, very much like um, a story time with Pastor Kevin. So I, I was really, I knew what God wanted me to speak about, and as I started reading through it, it's like, I can't not just tell the whole story. So we're going to, if you'll open your Bibles, we're going to start off in 1 Kings chapter 16, and we're going to kind of go through the evolution of what happened. If, if you remember last week, I talked about, we were going to be talking about life in the wilderness. And so here we start off in verse chapter 29 of chapter 16, Ahab began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. And so Ahab had a father, and he was someone... And the thing that was crazy to me as you read before this, if you go back and catch the context, and again, I've got so much to get in, I, I can't get stumbled up with this. But it, the story always said, and they turned their back on God, and they did worse than any other king before them. And then they had a son, and, and then the, he came on the scene, and he did it. And it says, and he did worse than any king before him. And over and over and over again, it was saying how bad they kept going in this cycle the wrong way. And it's interesting because I think today that we think about, oh my gosh, the world is so bad, and, and this is going on, and this thing's going, and this country's over here, and these were fighting. And it said that they were so much against each other, they were constantly fighting. And then they kept turning their back on God, and then they did worse than the ones before them. And we see that constantly. So this is thousands of years ago. Nothing has changed. So this story is still relevant for today. Verse 30. But Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. So he continued the, tra- the path of going further and further down the hill. Verse 31, And though it wasn't enough for him to follow the example of his father doing the bad things, he married Jezebel, the daughter of somebody, and he began to bow down and worship to Baal. So not only has he continued this downward slide, turning your back on God, but now he married a woman from another country of another ethnicity who didn't worship God. And then she got him to bow down in worship of an idol, Baal. And verse 32, and the first thing he did is he built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. So it's not only enough that he's doing all these things, but now he's built a temple and an altar. So not only is he worshiping not anything that's God or true, but now he's going way this other direction. And it goes on to talk about how badly the the whole um, earth became and the nation of Israel and everything that's going on. And God was so displeased with them. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah, this is the first place we see Elijah. He comes on the scene here. He was from this other town. And he came and he talked to King Ahab. Now here, he is the messenger of God at the time. And he says, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God who I serve. And the crazy thing is I was reading that, is there's so many gods going on at that time. He had to specify which God he was talking about. It reminds me when Dr. Kennedy went to India, and they're telling the, the gospel to everyone, and they're saying, you need to worship God and Jesus, and they're like, sure, that's great. And he's like, why are they accepting it so easily? And they found out there were 10,000 gods. So they just added it on to that. It's like, no, no, no. There's only one true God. 
a similar situation here. He goes, as the Lord lives, the, the God of Israel, the God who I serve. He had to really make that out. And now here he goes. He goes, there will be no dew or rain for the next few years until I give the word. He says, there's not going to be anything happen until I give the word of what's going to happen. That's the way it's going to be. Now that's crazy. Can you imagine a man of God being on TV today on satellite? Everybody's up there now. God told me this and it's not going to rain until I say. You'd be like, who the heck do you think you are? Sure enough, that's what happened. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Elijah, go. And I wanted that highlight. Go and hide by the brook near where it enters the Jordan River. So he's giving him his next steps. He's saying, hey, now you said what I want you to say. Now I want you to go, and I want you to hide because you need to kind of get out of town because it's about to get really hot around here, and it's going to be really not that good. In verse 4, another step, he goes, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. So it's way before Amazon started their home delivery with the the drones coming and dropping everything off. God has a a raven that comes and drops it off, so God was way ahead of Amazon, I'm just saying. But I'm boom, sorry. So God is feeding him, and he's bringing the water by the brook, and he's got all of this stuff going on for him. And then, verse 7, after a while, the brook dried up, and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Elijah, go. Again, he's giving him his next step. He's saying, hey, this is my plan. This is where you're going next. Go and live. Go, live, steps in the village of Zarephath, near the city of this other place, and I have instructed a widow there. I've instructed, God is saying this, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. As I looked at that, that word instructed literally means I've laid a charge on, and I, I put her in charge of taking care of you. She's got this responsibility is laid on, but as we'll see in a moment, she didn't know that. See, God has a plan for our lives. We see in Jeremiah 29, 11, we talk about it all the time, almost every message because it's so impacting to our life. But we don't often know what God's plan. She didn't know what God's plan. And Elijah didn't know until God told him. But he says, I've got this plan. I've laid her. And there's this whole thing. Go to Zarephath. Now, she, as we'll find out in just a moment, is a widow. As he said, there's a widow there. Likely... Her husband was one of the people that Ahab had killed. So pause. Ahab got really angry with Elijah, saying it's not going to rain, and it didn't rain. And all this famine and the drought and everything's going on, everything's drying up, and, and cattle are dying, and all this stuff going on. And I'm really skipping around to try and make this really quick. But he went town to town looking, and if he found any Christians, if he found anybody that was of the, you know, prophets of God, then he was asking them, he's grilling them, he's torturing them, trying to find out where is Elijah, because he's trying to reverse the curse, he's trying to change this whole thing around, and when they couldn't produce him, he's killing them. So he's taking out all the prophets that you see in all of these different places, left and right, that he killed all of them except for Elijah, who God said, go and hide. God's plan protected him. So we'll see in just a moment that the widow at Zarephath, her husband was in the school of prophets. So likely he was one of the prophets that Ahab came and said, where's Elijah? He's like, I don't know. And he ended up, so here she is in Zarephath, verse 10. 
So he went, Elijah, to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water? Now that wasn't culturally unheard of. That was what normally happened, that you, you could ask someone, a, a woman at the well, if you would ask her, it was more culturally appropriate for her to get the water for you than for you to go get it yourself. It's kind of like the places you're supposed to be versus places you're not supposed to be. That wasn't out of the ordinary for him to ask that. And as she was going to get it, verse 11, he called her and said, hey, can you bring me a little bite of bread too? Also not inappropriate. So here she's going to go get him some water. And can't you see her? She's walking over there to go get a cup and go to the well and pull it up. He goes, hey, and by the way, I'm really hungry. Could you get me something? Verse 12, but she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering these few sticks to cook the last meal. Then my son and I will surely die. Wait a minute. That's God's solution to feed the man of God? This woman who doesn't have but one last meal is not even that great? How is that going to work out? God, I thought you said that You've commanded her, you've charged her, you've laid this on her, you've instructed her, this is her plan. And she doesn't have enough food for her, how the heck is she going to feed me? See, she didn't know God's plan. You see, the man of God coming was her plan to survive. She was his plan for survival. It was all the plan of God. Now, you can go on and read that, and, and you'll see that God performed this wonderful miracle. He says, hey, what do you have? What do you have in your house? And, and, and oftentimes when God tells us to do something, you're like, I, I, I can't do that. I don't have that much money in my bank account or I don't have those resources. Or I can't do this. And it's very rare that when God calls you to do something, you got everything already. Like, okay, let's just do it. Usually it's this big tax on you. Like, ah, I don't think I can do that. When he called us to start a church, he's like, I can't start a church. Are you crazy? Not me. He'll call us into this place, but he's got provision. And as you walk into it, he did this great miracle and gave her this great, incredible um, financial miracle that she was able to sell the oil and and all this stuff. And she lived a great retirement. And God's plan for her losing her husband, working for him, had this great way. Anyway, that's a side story, but I couldn't skip over it because it's so amazing. We continue on in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Later on in the third year, now can you imagine three years of a drought? We have times that it gets really dry here in Texas or in the United States, and we go for even a month or so. And when we were moving back to Texas, I came back, and it was when you guys had the longest stretch of 100 day, the triple digits every day. It's like, oh my gosh, there's no rain. It's like terrible. But can you imagine three years, not even a drop? It's pretty bad. The Lord said to Elijah, go, again, he's giving him his next step, and present yourself to the king, to King Ahab, and tell him, look at this, tell him that I will soon send the rain. I will soon send the rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. Now, remember I told you that Ahab had sent 
everybody out looking for Elijah, and if they couldn't find him, he's chopping their heads off, and he's like, so everybody's scared to death of this whole thing. Well, Obadiah, as we'll see in just a moment, he's one of the king's um, servants, and he trusts God, and he serves God, and, and, and he was able to help some people not get murdered and kind of hit them out over here. But as he's doing this, he's still in the service of the king, and he sees, verse 7, as Obadiah was walking along, he's going down the road one day, and he suddenly saw Elijah coming towards him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground. He honored him. He goes, is it really you, my lord, Elijah, he asked? Yes, it is. Elijah replied, now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Can you imagine? Again, put yourself in this whole scenario. I love this. This cracks me up. Verse 9. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you? What did I do to you, man, that you're sending me to my certain death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah is in here, King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear on the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah's here. But as soon as I leave, the Spirit of God's going to carry you somewhere else. Who knows where? And then when Ahab comes and can't find you, he's going to kill me. He's like, what did I do to you that you're causing me? I'm just walking down the street. What in the world are you doing? He goes, no, no, it's all right. This is the plan of God. And he was scared. And he went and told Ahab. And I'm fast forwarding through a lot of this. Verse 17 of Kings, 1 Kings 18. They get together. It says, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed. Uh, you see the, the sarcasm. So, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? But that kind of jumped out to me. Because isn't it just like what happens to us? Elijah wasn't the troublemaker. Ahab was a troublemaker. He turned his back on God. He lived a worse life than all the people before him. He worshipped Baal. He bowed down and worshipped Baal. He built this altar. He built this temple. And he did all these things. And and he's the one who stepped away from it. And yet he's going to point at the guy who was the messenger from God and say, you're the troublemaker. You're the one who's causing all this trouble here. What's wrong with you? But I love Elijah, how bold he was. He turned around, verse 18, and goes, I've made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of God and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me on Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of this other one and who are all supported by Jezebel. So his wife is supporting close to a thousand false prophets. Think about that. She's making sure they have food, all this stuff. She's taking care of She's supporting them. She's fully invested in this cult. Verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Now, Ahab has killed all the true prophets of God, as we will see in a minute. And he's, he's killed them looking for Elijah. And he's gone through all these things. And after three years of him telling these thousand prophets to you, do something, fix this, turn this around, make it rain, do this stuff, you know, come on, do something, and they can't do nothing, he still is so deceived that he considers them prophets, he calls them. And this is where it gets really funny, and I, I, I really love this story in the Bible. I feel like every week I tell you I'm going to tell you my favorite story in the Bible, and yet that's kind of how it is. 
Verse 21, then Elijah stood in front of them, all of Israel and the prophets and the king, and says, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is your God, follow him. If Baal is your God, then follow him. But isn't that the same as today? If you're going to worship God, if you're going to follow God, worship him, follow him. But if you're going to turn your back on God and you're going to give it all, then go that way. But you've got a choice to make, and that's what he's saying. But the people were completely silent. But then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. And the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut into pieces and lay it on the wood altar, but without setting any fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood on the altar, and I won't set fire to it. Then we'll call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So he's got this showdown planned out here. He goes, okay, y'all thousand guys go over there. Pick out whichever one you want. I don't care. It's not rigged. And you get it all set up. And you call fire down from God on yours. I'm going to come over mine. And whichever one it works, it's gonna, that's the one we're going to say. So if, if it works for you, then I'm going to serve your God. But if it works over here, you're going to serve the true God. Then Elijah told the prophets, you go first. I love that. It just cracks me up, all the sarcasm and all the humor that's in the Bible. For there are many of you, but go choose one of the bulls, and I don't care which one it is. Prepare it and call on the name of your God, but don't set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. So they got up early in the morning, and they're out there from the when the sun's just coming out all the way till noon and they're calling on him. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting so cracked up. They're crying out, verse 26, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced. They're all dancing around out there and they're hobbling around the altar and they're doing all their stuff. And about noontime, Elijah had enough of that. He starts mocking them. Again, I love the sarcasm. It's in the Bible. Maybe you have to shout louder, for surely he's a god, and perhaps he's daydreaming. (laughs) Or maybe he's going to the bathroom. Or maybe he's away on a trip. Or maybe he's asleep, and maybe he just needs to be woken up. I mean, he's just ribbing them. And and they're taking it. Now, Now, bear in mind now, the king had called them there. The king whose wife is supporting them. So they're on the spot. They can't just thumb their nose at him. They, they're on the spot. And they're like doing it. So verse 20. So they shouted louder. And then, then following their normal customs, they began cutting themselves with knives and swords until their blood was gushing out. Verse 29. They raved all afternoon. One of the original raves. Until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No reply. And no response. Look at that. No sound. No reply. And no response. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to the people, Okay, I've had enough. Come over here. Then they all crowded around him. And then look at this. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. You see, for me, I would have like. 
They spent all day over there. I would have been out there with my mortar and my trowel, and I would have been fixing the altar while they're over there because I know nothing's going to happen over there. But I've been over here fixing it and getting it all laid out and prepared so when they came over here, I'm ready to go, and bang, it's showtime. But no, he was making a point. He stood there with him for that whole time going, when's it going to happen? Then he starts needling them around noontime. And now at evening time, he starts working on the altar. He spends time to show them what they have torn down and what they have allowed the house of God to become a mock. He's now spending the time to put it back. Verse 32. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. Remember that, three gallons. Then he piled the wood on the altar. He cut the bull that was remaining into pieces and he laid the pieces on the, uh, on the wood And then he said, fill four large jars with water. Now, their large jars would hold about 20 gallons at that time, somewhere in that neighborhood. So four of those, and come and pour it over the offering in the wood. Now, I don't know if you know anything about starting fires, but you don't really want to pour wood on this, uh, water on this wood that you're trying to get a God to, you know, light it up and turn it on fire. And it's been dry and it rained for three years. So, you know, it, it might could start pretty easy. You might just look at it good, you know, and it might come on fire, even though they try it all day. But you certainly don't want to pour water on it. After they've done this, he says, do the same thing again. Now, remember, those trenches will hold three gallons. And here he's putting four, around 20 gallons, So 80 gallons, and then doing it again. So it's just filled water all around. It's saturated completely. Not a chance in the world this is going to start. Verse 35, and the water ran around the the altar and even filled the trench. Now at this usual time for the offering for the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Now I want you to just imagine this scene. The whole nation is out there. There's a thousand false prophets that have tried all day from sunup now to evening. They're all standing there. The king is there. Everybody's there. And here walks up. I mean, I can just imagine the fanfare music if we were doing a a movie of this, of, of Elijah walking up as the man of God. And as he walks up there, he prays. And he prays this prayer that's just epic. He goes, Oh, Lord. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's putting into context. He's not talking about a false God. Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. He's saying, I'm not just narcissistic over here doing this because this is good for me or this makes me look good, but I'm doing this because you have a plan here. Verse 37, O Lord, answer me, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you, watch this, you have brought them back to yourself. They haven't done anything to come back to God. When he's given them ultimate, you're going to serve God, you're going to serve Baal, they're quiet, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. But even in their not taking any steps towards God, God says, I'm taking that step towards you. Immediately, verse 38, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and even the dust, and even licked up all the water in the trench. Now, let's put that in English. All of a sudden, it went, bam, 
And it pulverized everything. There's not even anything left. The water's all gone. There's not even dust in the air. They didn't even have haze going on in their church that day. There's nothing left. It's all of a sudden, one minute's there, you see, bam, and there's nothing there. It's all of a sudden. Whoa, what happened? Verse 40. Then Elijah said, Seize all the prophets of Baal and don't let one escape. Now, I don't know about you, but I have questions that when I get to heaven, I want answered. That I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to keep tabs. And there's a few that I want to, I want to ask God, you know, how, how did this work? And can you replay the tape on this? Because I really, this is one of them. I want to know how one prophet of God killed a thousand prophets. Because I think after a couple, I'd figure it out. You're taking them down there and you're chopping their heads off. I think I can figure out how I'm going to go over here. I'm going to slip out. I'm going to do this stuff. And yet he killed every one of them. That's my question. How did it work? Verse 41, though. Continue on. Then Elijah said to the king, Go get something to eat and drink. For here a mighty rainstorm is coming. Elijah spoke to him and said, it's not going to happen until I say the word. Three years go by. Continues in sin, and then this great showdown, this great sensational act. And God goes, all this stuff. And then he turns to Ahab and says, hey, go out to eat. Go to In-N-Out Burger and be ready. I'll call you in a little bit. And there's going to be a mighty rainstorm coming. Now, wouldn't you think that he's the prophet, and he's got all this going on, that he's, here's my voice. It's not going to rain. It stopped raining. It's not going to rain again until my voice. So I say, he's going to say, okay, let it rain. Wouldn't you think that's the way it's going to be? But look what happens. But Elijah, verse 31, climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed low to the ground. And prayed with his face between his knees. Love the humility that we see here. He's praying. He's fervent before God. See, he's just carrying out the plan of God. Then he said to his servant, go and look towards the sea. And the servant went and looked. And he returned to Elijah and said, I don't see nothing. Okay, so Elijah went back to that same position. He prayed again. Go check. Seven times this happened. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, he's praying and he's fervently asking God, but it didn't just happen just like that. He had to keep asking and keep asking. Even though that was God's plan, even though God said, now's the time, it still required him doing something. And on the seventh time, verse 44, the servant told him, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Now, I don't know. I mean, can you imagine the whole horizon is out there and you kind of see like this way out there. It's like, well, I, I think maybe he's just imagining something because he doesn't want to keep coming back to the light. Going, I don't see nothing. There ain't nothing out there. But he, I don't know if he saw something or he didn't, but he comes back. But it's enough for Elijah. He goes, man, hurry up. Go tell Ahab. Climb in your chariot and you better get home. Because if you don't hurry, the rain is going to stop you. He jumps in his chariot. And and part of the story that I'm not going to read, but it's pretty funny if you go back and read it, that God, it says, gave Elijah supernatural um, provision. And he started running. He ran faster than the chariots running at full gate. And he passed them on the way. That's just kind of a crazy story. Verse 1 of chapter 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Who? All the prophets. She was supporting all the people that she was all for. 
She got so mad. Now, what you think, even though she's not from Israel, that she's from this other country, and she supported these people, they went through the, the three years of no water and the famine and the, this crazy situation. What not you think she'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Maybe I, I've been wrong. No, she didn't say that at all. She actually sent a message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you the same as you killed them. Now the most amazing, one of the most amazing scriptures in the entire Bible is the next one. We've seen this great man Elijah that comes on the scene, it puts his finger in the king's face and says, it's not going to rain. The king searches all over for him, kills all these people, and Elijah's the only one left. And, and he comes back, and he puts his finger in his face again and says, God says, now's the time to get everybody here. He does this crazy, sensational act of, of God doing this thing. He's poking at their, at their prophets, and the God pulverizes this whole thing. This spectacular event, this whole thing. And then he goes, okay, God in heaven, you're doing this. You're, it's it's going to rain. He does all this stuff. And this woman gets mad. Verse 3, and Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He started off in the wilderness when God sent him there. He says, go. This is your step. Take this step. Go this step. But you see, this time he ends up in the wilderness, but it wasn't God who sent him there. It was his fear. And this sounds like depression to me. He's scared for what's going to come next. Like, I want to pull the covers over my head and play like nobody's home. Verse 4. Then he went alone to the wilderness, traveled all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Listen to his weepy voice. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. For I'm no better than all my ancestors who have already died. Just, this is it. God, just take me. He just sit up there and says, you, 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 cut all their heads off and win. I mean, you can't kill a thousand people very quickly, one by one. I mean, it took a long time. And then here he's running scared. See, even this great man of God, he's so great that God didn't allow him to die, that he went up on a ladder into heaven. He's one of two people in all of history who didn't die. Even when Jesus is here and they're asking, who is it? I think it's Elijah. Come back, you know, from heaven because he got this big plan. And even the Hebrews still have the seat in, in their, when they do Passover, there's a seat for Elijah. He's this great man. And even he's like, ah, this woman says she's going to kill me depressed God I've had enough many of us find ourselves in this place verse 5 then he laid down to sleep I think he was hoping he died in his sleep and as he's sleeping an angel touched him I think the Bible's being generous there I kind of see in my mind I could be wrong but this is my mind the angel's like Poof. like wake up he says get up and eat he looked around and beside his head there was some bread Baked on some hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Like, ah. See, he's not over his depression yet. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him. Again, he went, Poof. get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. This morning, can I tell you the same thing? Get up. Eat some more. Taste the Lord and see that he's good. Because if you don't plug into God, the journey ahead of you, it could be too much for you. 
So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. See, he ended up in a wilderness. And God had just caused a sensational event that he was the one orchestrating, pulling all the strings, just letting his personality come out. But then he fell down. Verse 9, he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied still in his weepy voice, I zealously served the Lord, God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down their altars. Remember, he built the altar back up. And they've killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 11, God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. So the Lord told him, as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the, the, the mountain. I don't know if you've ever been out in a, in a hurricane or a tornado when the war is just, you feel all the energy going in there. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were even torn loose and flying everywhere. But the Lord wasn't in the rain and the wind. Then there was an earthquake, and, and the earth, Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, and the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire was a gentle sound, a whisper. Remember where it said there wasn't even a sound? The sound comes from God. It's a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face and went and stood at the entrance. And again, God said, why, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said the same thing again. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. <coughs> but the people of Israel have broken their covenant, torn down your altars, and killed every one of their prophets, and I'm the only one left. And God says, go back the same way. And verse 19, as Elijah went, he found Elisha. And that's where I'm stopping the story. It's great to fill in all the blanks of what I had skipped over. But here this greatest man in history of all the prophets, still celebrated by the Jewish people all over the world. God says, now I need you to be with somebody else. We talk so often about bringing somebody behind you and latching onto somebody ahead of you. And here he finds Elisha out plowing. And he didn't know his plan for his life and God had for him. He's just out there doing what he's supposed to do. And Elijah came by and grabbed him. And now they go together. And they start working together. They're better together. But this is what God did. We see, not one of us are exempt. Even this great, great man of God, these great exploits, the sensational acts, was susceptible to the flesh. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? See, this morning, wherever you're at, whatever you're you find my voice coming through to you, whether you're here in person or you're watching live on our online church or on our podcast. The balance is still there between serving God and serving the world. There's still the people who will tell you, you, can, you don't have to do it God's way. You can just do it this other way. Just kind of do your own thing. That doesn't work out well for you. God has a plan for you, and just like for the widow at Zarephath, that he had provision by obeying and, and being listening to the man of God. But at the same time, you can write chapters in your book 
run into the wilderness like Elijah did. See, there's two wildernesses. One God led him into. There was a purpose, and the other one he ran into scared and in depression. So where are you this morning? See, just being in the wilderness isn't necessarily more than difficult. It's, it's difficult, but it can be serving a purpose like it was the first time. Or you could have put yourself in the wilderness by choices that you made. And even there, the angel of God comes and says, what are you doing here? So I ask you this morning, what are you doing here? Is today your day? Like it said of the Lord, that he's calling you back to himself. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe he's calling you back. If that's you this morning, I have a simple prayer. You can pray anything that's genuine between you and God. I'm just going to help you with the words. But I encourage you, if that's you, to come back to God. Trust God. Trust in Him. This is private. I'm not going to call anybody forward. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. This is between you and God. I'm just going to help you with the words. If that's you this morning, just pray this prayer silently. Say, Jesus come into my life I ask you to forgive me I invite you into my life my hopes and my future I surrender all come just as I am and I choose today to follow you I trust in you to reveal to me my next steps just like you did Elijah in every step from today forward. And the best way I know how, I'm going to serve you forever. Today, I give you my life. Father, I pray for all of us, and Lord, as we're challenged, Lord, as I'm challenged by this message, that Lord, we can have the greatest moments with you and see the most craziest things and then all of a sudden be susceptible to fear. Be susceptible to emotions, to depression, to things that will pull us down and make us want to die. God, I pray that we all hear your voice. And when you say, what are you doing here? That we answer the call. God, that we listen for your next step and we go and we hear your still, small voice. Father, I give you this message. I give you everyone listening, Lord, and pray your blessings upon them, Lord. May we take the next step with you and the next step and the next one. And whatever, Lord, that little path is that you have for each one of us, we don't stop. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.